Welcome back to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. On this episode, we'll be talking to Valor Consultancy. I recently had the chance to catch up with Craig Foster. He's a consultant and co-founder of Valor Consultancy. They provide research, insights, and consultancy services to the aviation industry and a variety of other industries. Valor recently published its latest report on the adoption of in-flight entertainment and connectivity for business aviation, which is very timely with the National Business Aviation Association's annual conference and exhibition happening next week in Orlando, Florida. So on this episode, Craig discusses some of the highlights of the report, including their projection that there will be 27,000 connected business aircraft by 2031. And Craig also breaks down some of those numbers and gets into what's driving demand and what could be driving the demand for in-flight entertainment and connectivity systems on business jets over the next decade. So let's get into our discussion with Craig Foster of Valor Consultancy. So Craig, while most of our audience is very familiar with yourself and some of the rest of your team from Valor Consultancy, can you just start with a brief introduction to you know the type of research, analysis, and insights that Valor provides for aviation and a number of other industries? Absolutely. So um, like Daniel Welch, uh, who I think has featured on a few of your podcasts over the years, um, I'm one of the, the co-founders of the company and our focus really is on providing you know, very high quality, comprehensive market intelligence and consultancy services to companies in different mobility verticals. And obviously that includes aviation. And we've come to be regarded, I think, as experts in the markets for in-flight entertainment and connectivity, as well as cabin technology more broadly. Um, but we're also heavily involved in the maritime market and we're growing our presence in land-based um, transportation land-based mobility too um, so i myself i concentrate primarily on the business aviation market looking at the adoption of in-flight connectivity in-flight entertainment and cabin management systems in the sector and more recently i've started to delve a little bit more into the end-to-end -end passenger journey and i've been working to expand our coverage into the airport space looking a bit at how biometrically enabled touch points are helping to support the the transition to you know seamless digital uh, travel experiences right right yeah you know and our, our audience is very familiar like you said with with daniel and um, a lot of your other research and what you provide so glad we were able to catch up uh so valor has just released its latest report on the adoption of in-flight entertainment and connectivity for the business aviation market very timely for our audience as uh, you know a lot of them will be headed to nbaa in orlando next week uh to start off can you just give us a brief overview of some of the key aspects of you know in-flight entertainment connectivity for business aircraft you focused on in the report and also just clarify the category of business aircraft you focused on within the report as well yeah for sure so the report's very detailed i think it's almost um, 200 pages long and it really looks at every aspect of the market so outlining all of the factors that are expected to drive growth in the future as well as looking at the challenges that market participants face now and will face in the future um, it also looks to provide an overview of the technology trends at play 
it includes one page profiles of you know the key players in the market which then detail the different products and solutions that are on offer the business models and strategies being utilized different partnerships product roadmaps market shares etc so you know it's a really comprehensive piece of work and i think one of the, the key themes within it um you know this is in its third edition now um, but one of the things that we've really focused on in this edition is the development of new electronically steered antennas that really promise to expand the total addressable market for high-speed connectivity to smaller airframes, you know, many of which have really had to, to make do with what you'd call narrowband options in, in years gone by. And I think that kind of answers your question on the types of aircraft that the report focuses on, because we're really looking at all segments of the market. You know, from the very huge biz liners like the Airbus corporate jets and the Boeing business jets at the top end of the market that are essentially, you know, flying palaces all the way down to the single engine turboprops like the Pilatus PC-12 and, and everything in between that as well. There certainly is a lot of great research featured in there and definitely encourage the audience to uh, check out Valor's website and, and check out that report. So, you know, one of the most interesting data points that was featured in the report, at least, you know, some of the highlights that were released about it, is just the number of connected business aircraft that it projects. And um, so th there's a stat in here that it projects there could be 27,000 connected business aircraft by 2031. That would be up from 16,400 at the end of 2021. Um, considering in-flight connectivity is already such an important tool and must-have for business aviation operators. Do you see the majority of that adoption coming from the addition uh, you know, or upgrade to new connectivity systems on existing jets? Or could it come simply you know, the purchase of new connected business jets that enter in service maybe with you know, line-fit connectivity? Yeah, so that's, that's a really good question. And I think it will be a, a fairly even mixture of both line fitments and retrofits. Um, so just to, to put this into perspective, between 2021 and 2031, we actually expect to see almost 24,000 connectivity systems installed on aircraft of different types. And of that number, about 40% is comprised of line fitments. And that's equivalent to just under three quarters of all newly produced business aircraft rolling off the production line with some form of connectivity system installed at the factory during that time frame. But we do expect that the number of retrofits will ramp up quite significantly over the next couple of years too. Um, that's partly a reflection of increased activity at the MROs in the post-pandemic phase. And, you know, you'll have seen that OEM backlogs are filled up right now and pre-owned inventory levels are at record lows. And because of that, the demand for aftermarket services has increased and I think will continue to increase as aircraft owners and operators look to upgrade legacy equipment on older aircraft. Um, but an increase in the number of annual retrofits will also, I think, be the result of several new solutions coming on stream at the same time. So you've obviously got the likes of Smart Sky Networks uh, right now. You've got SES uh, and Collins Aerospace with the LookStream solution as well as Intelsat and Satcom Direct with FlexExec, each working through their respective backlogs. And all of those companies at the moment are primarily concentrating on the aftermarket. And then in the next few years, you'll have the likes of SpaceX with Starlink and um, the you know, uh, GoGo solutions all being installed in the aftermarket too. And I mentioned GoGo specifically there because obviously 
they're looking to move some of their customers from existing equipment towards the new 5G network that they're rolling out, as well as the, the forthcoming you know, Leo solution with OneWeb 2. So there'll be significant aftermarket activity there um, too. So hopefully that kind of explains how we're looking at the market. And that's a really good point, especially what you mentioned. There's a, a you know, a, if you're going to NBAA next week, there's so many different uh, options when it comes to, or even you know, uh, you know, kind of education you can get on new in-flight connectivity services and technologies becoming available, and, and including uh, specifically for business aviation. And you did mention uh, low Earth orbit satellites. There, Leo satellites is certainly a topic we've covered a lot on the podcast this year, um, you know, just in terms of, of what it could potentially provide for this market. And I did find it interesting in the report highlights, uh, it estimates only about 14% of those potentially 27,000 connected business jets by 2031 will feature NGSO-based systems such as LEO or MEO, of course. Um, can you expand on that insight a little bit? And, you know, um, why are you projecting that percentage to be 14 percent um does leo have some proving to do in this market yeah so i'm glad you asked me that question because it's a really important one um but i first want to clarify that it's not 14 percent of the 27,000 connected business aircraft that we expect to see by 2031 but instead it's 14 percent of the total number of connectivity systems installed on those aircraft and you know many of course have more than one connectivity system installed and we're actually projecting that there will be around 32,000 um, in-flight connectivity systems or terminals installed on those jets uh, in 10 years' time. And so that 14% figure actually equates to somewhere in the region of 4,500 NGSO-based terminals. And I guess to try and put that into some more perspective, and I'm throwing a few numbers at you here, um, but NGSO systems will actually account for about 20% of all of the total installations that we're expecting to see occur between 2021 and 2031, which if you consider the fact that the, uh, you know, the supporting electronically steered antennas that I briefly mentioned before are not really expected to be fully available until the mid part of the decade, it's, it's not that bad. Uh, it's not that going really, I don't think. And, you know, you look at the likes of Starlink and, and the OneWeb VARs, They've not yet got their solutions into the OEM catalogs for line fit operability. So they're going to be relying on the aftermarket initially. Um, and I think it's also important to remember that that four and a half thousand figure excludes Iridium L-band terminals, which are, of course, also collect, uh, connecting sorry, to a LEO constellation. When you throw those back into the mix, the number actually exceeds 10,000. So there's a number of different ways to look at it. But... You know, regardless of the extent to which NGSO will grow, um, I think it will clearly be disruptive in the sense that these constellations, I think, will expand, as I mentioned previously, the total addressable market for, for well, I suppose, high bandwidth connectivity on smaller airframes that are not necessarily operating within reach of an air-to-ground network and that can't accommodate those, you know, bulky KUK band gimbal antennas that we see today on on larger aircraft and obviously there's a bunch of other benefits around latency and the ability to you know layer capacity in multi multiple orbits that i think will be beneficial too so there's clearly um yeah there's clearly a lot of positivity around ngso 
Certainly. And thanks for providing that clarification, a very important one. Um, and, you know, there's also an interesting statement featured in the highlights of the report that I wanted to specifically read to the audience and discuss a little more in depth with you, where you state, most satellite operators are now committed to a multi-orbit or coverage and coverage expansion strategy, meaning redundancy will increasingly be offered via a single terminal capable of switching between LEO, MEO, and GEO satellites, which could start to limit the appeal of dual provisioning later in the forecast period. This is one trend that's really interesting, although we haven't covered as much on the podcast this year, although, it, you know, I have seen it emerge here and there from a few different companies, especially, you know, those making modems. Uh, but how widespread is this trend, particularly already in terms of what you've observed, in terms of availability of those terminals that can enable that type of multi-orbit service where you're not just, you know, locked into one service provider? Yeah, okay. So it, it's not uncommon, as I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, for business aircraft to be dual provisioned, meaning that they have a backup system if something goes wrong or if the you know the flight veers beyond the coverage of the primary system. And many of the larger jets, for example, are equipped with GoGo's air-to-ground system, which obviously only works over North America, in addition to something like Inmarsat's L-band solutions with broadband, which, although lower bandwidth, work in almost all regions of the world and can also be used for cockpit safety services as well as a, a secondary connection and you often also see KU and KA band systems installed as the primary connectivity solution with either swift broadband or iridium in reserve as a secondary connection but when you look at business jets you know compared to commercial air transport space on board the aircraft and on board the fuselage is obviously at a premium and it would obviously make sense to to try and do away with the extra bulk cost and complexity associated with installing and operating two independent systems on board, if at all possible. So, you know, to answer your question, um, multi-orbit terminals that would obviate that need for dual provisioning um, are going to be in, in demand, I think, in the future. I wouldn't say that they're widely available today, but they've certainly undergone testing and they're, they're coming down the pipe. And, you know, there's a bunch of examples that I could point to there. Um, you know, ThinkOn being one, it's technically a hybrid antenna, but they've obviously proved quite popular in commercial aviation and have been shown already to work with both GEO and LEO networks. And I know that smaller variants, more suited to business jet fuselages, are on the way. Um, but you've got the likes of Kest um, with SATCOM Direct working on their plain simple antennas, which I think are, are compatible or, or going to be compatible with LEO and GEO networks. And the same is true of some of the solutions from you know, Stellar Blue, Satix Fi, um, two companies that are working with OneWeb, as well as the, um, the electronically steered antenna that Biosat's working on too. And as, as you said, you know, you only need to look at the, the strategies of the, the geo satellite operators for confirmation of this multi-orbit trend. Um, you know, I think Inmarsat and Biosat, who are, of course, joining forces or in the process of joining forces, are, are committed to that multi-orbit strategy. You know, you've got Utelsat and OneWeb in the process of merging two. Intelsat submitted a filing for a MEO constellation, and I know that they're continually evaluating various NGSO partnerships, and that could maybe even you know, involve some work with SCS. I think they were rumored to be having talks around mergers as well a couple of months ago. So yeah, multi-orbit is definitely um, something that we'll see more of in the future. And you know, you, you do also mention in the highlights that 
in-flight entertainment and cabin management system uh, segment of this market could be worth up to $10 billion over the course of the next uh, 10 years. And, you know, that's a really interesting prediction. Uh, what is driving demand specifically in that cabin management system space? Um, you know, is it the availability of newer technologies like 4K voice command and others, or is it is it something else? Yeah, so almost all business jets now and a number of the larger turboprops too are delivered from the factory with an in-flight entertainment or cabin management system installed at the factory. And of that 10 billion figure, line fitments alone will account for about two thirds of that. So obviously as uh, aircraft production increases, then, then that number goes up. Um, but as I mentioned with the, with the question on in-flight connectivity, I think we're also going to see increased activity in the aftermarket especially now that the ADSB mandates um, have come to an end, you know, where compliance in the past with those mandates was prioritized over discretionary spend for a period of time, but also because, as I also mentioned before, um, those pre-owned inventory levels are so low. Um, you know, I mean, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that the purchase of pre-owned aircraft will very often trigger some level of refurbishment, especially given that there is, I think, an even more limited inventory of younger aircraft out there for sale today. Um, and I think that point's key because there are a lot of what well, are really obsolete cabin management systems still flying around out there today from the likes of Baker Electronics, Audio International and Pacific Systems. You know, some of those systems could be 20 years old um, and where previously owners of older aircraft might have been dissuaded from undertaking costly upgrades, given that the hold value of their aircraft will be much lower later in the aircraft's lifespan. We've actually seen the emergence of some more budget-friendly dropping systems in recent years that essentially look to minimise installation costs and reduce lead times, but you know provide that refreshment of the IFE stroke CMS system. But yeah, to go back to your question, there's absolutely a demand for things like 4K and voice control. I think the Challenger 3500 is one of the first aircraft with uh, voice control on it. Um, and that's certainly playing a part in this demand. But there's also a strong demand too for things like OLED technology um, and, you know, OLED screens are becoming more widely available in a range of screen sizes. There's interest too in things like Li-Fi now as a networking technology. You know, that's um, that's definitely picked up steam, I think, in, in the last year or so after quite a few years of promise. So there's quite a few factors, I think, driving forward uh, demand in the in-flight entertainment and cabin management system space. Right. That Li-Fi is a, is a really interesting technology. It'll be interesting to see how that, you know, uh, a growth of adoption of that grows. Uh, well, you know, really interesting insights about the report. Uh, before we let you go, just, you know, if you can let our audience know, how can they access and, and purchase that report that you just published? Yeah, so, um, you know, if you log on to our website, www.valorconsultancy.com, um, you'll see at the top of the, the screen, there's a section where you can browse the aviation reports. And when, within that, you've got a, a section looking at the business aviation reports too, and you can take a look at the, um, the table of contents and re report scope. So you can see exactly what's included in there. And like I say, it's quite a lengthy report. So, um, yeah, definitely a comprehensive piece of work. Definitely, definitely worth uh, checking out if you're interested in this segment of the market. And, you know, Craig, thanks for coming on the podcast and educating our audience about this segment of, uh, you know, in-flight connectivity. Pleasure, Woodrow. Thanks very much for having me.
That brings us to the end of another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Apple iOS podcast app or any smartphone or tablet podcasting application. Feel free to rank and comment on our podcast as well to let us know how we can improve. It also helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. Thank you.